Welcome to State Bar of Michigan's On Balance Podcast, where we talk about practice management and lawyer wellness for a thriving law practice with your hosts, Joanne Hathaway and Tish Vincent, here on Legal Talk Network. Take it away, ladies. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the State Bar of Michigan's On Balance podcast on Legal Talk Network. I'm Tish Vincent. And I'm Joanne Hathaway. We're very pleased to have Dr. Noelle Nelson, an internationally respected psychologist, author, and seminar leader, join us today as our podcast guest to talk about connecting with your clients. I'd also like to add that Dr. Nelson has authored a book with that same title and it is published through the Law Practice Division of the American Bar Association. Should you wish to access that publication, a link to it will be provided in our podcast show notes. So Dr. Nelson, would you share some information about yourself with our listeners? I will be happy to. Thank you. Well, first of all, I am actually a trial consultant. That's how I use my psychological skills, if you will. I work primarily with attorneys in civil litigation, and I do that all over the United States. So I have the great joy of rewriting opening statements, figuring out case themes, running focus groups, preparing witnesses, writing for dire questions, and pretty much everything that I think of as pre-production to a trial. And that is my life. (laughs) That's very interesting. Tell us the book, Connecting with Your Client. How did that come about? Why did you feel the need to write that book? Well, that came directly out of my experience as a trial consultant in working to prepare witnesses for deposition and trial. Because I learned an awful lot about how they felt about both their lawyers and their experience with their case. And what I discovered is that most witnesses slash clients didn't have any problems with the actual lawyering, the professional expertise, if you will, of their attorneys, but they often had problems with the quality of service. And what really bothered me is I was watching fine, fine attorneys lose clients, not because of their expertise again, but because they weren't delivering service in the way that a client wished or expected. I think somewhere along the line, attorneys didn't realize that clients are a lot more sophisticated now, and they have a plethora of high-level attorneys to choose from. So the distinction then becomes one of, okay, what service am I getting? How am I being respected in this? As opposed to just how good an attorney are they in terms of expertise. Very interesting. You say in connecting with your client that it really all starts with the initial interview. Is there anything you can offer with regard to some tips on how attorneys can conduct that interview so they actually get what they need from the case and the client feels safe and can trust them? Yes, absolutely. First of all, a lawyer's attention, if you will, is usually focused on the case itself. But in that initial interview, what the client needs and wants is for the attention to be focused on him or her. And so the best way to do that is don't split your focus. In other words, during the initial interview, do not accept phone calls, do not respond to texts, do not mess with your email, etc. Just really be attentive, square to the client. 
And the easiest way of demonstrating that in body language is maintain good eye focus. In other words, look at him or her directly and listen, 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 listen. Your ears are so very important. As far as I'm concerned goes, ears, brain, then mouth. And attorneys <laughs> being, being, you know, the professional in the room are often going brain, mouth, maybe ears. And that's not the direction that the client needs. So the first technique, if you will, is simply eye focus. Secondly is be genuinely interested in what they have to say. Now, a client will say an awful lot of stuff that you don't need for the case. You just don't need it. It's, it's irrelevant. It has nothing to do with anything. But it has a lot to do with the client's perception that you are respecting him or her. And that's really, really important. So you've got to have patience and let them talk. It's kind of the same objection that people have when they go to a physician for the first time is, I didn't get to say a word. Well, the client really needs to say a word or more than a word. Now, another technique, which is going to sound very simplistic, but is very effective, is use their name. A person's name is the single most important word in the English language or whatever language they speak to him or her. So use their name and start by being formal. So it's Ms. Smith or Mr. Jones until the client says, "Ah, you know, it's Mary or it's Jack, whatever. Use their name and use it several times so that they know that you know who you're talking to. So they feel like an individual, like they matter. And it's not just the case. Be sure, this is uh, the third technique, if you will, be sure to show that you're listening by head nods, you know, up and down, or uh uh-huh, that kind of just uh uh-huh. It's called nonverbal communication, but it is somewhat verbal. And take notes, take notes. Few things impress people as much as you writing down something they said. Now, frankly, I do not care as your trial consultant. I don't care if what you're writing down is your laundry list. What I care about is that the client's perception is that you are making a note of something they said, and therefore they are important. All those techniques are geared towards one thing and one thing only, showing the client that they are as important as the case itself. And that's how you do it. Sometimes there's a disconnect between what the client sees as important and what the lawyer sees as important in a case. What can a lawyer do to make sure that both client and lawyer are on the same page? This goes back a little bit to what I was saying about the initial interview is you want to be client-centered. In other words, you need to gather information as to how the client sees the case. And you do that with very specific questions. And they are open-ended as opposed to closed. They are questions that cannot be answered by yes or no. And I'll give you, if I may, a couple of examples. Mm -hmm. So, for example, is what are your greatest fears regarding the outcome of this matter? Now, to you, the attorney, that may be one thing, which is we lose. But to the client, it could be something else. Like, my business will fail or my reputation will be gone or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Another type of question is, well, all things considered, what do you expect to have happen, both in terms of the outcome and how the case will proceed? So you as the attorney, you don't have a clue how the client expects the case to go or what they think is involved. And rather than either assume that they know or just impose your information on them, 
you will do much better if you ask. You just might ask what to expect to have happen. Now, the key to these questions is they start with the word what or the formula if-then. The word they stay away from is the word why. Why pins people to the wall? Well, why do you think you may lose your business? No, not why. But what is it about this that makes you think you might lose your business? Why is, is, is mm, just one of those words you want to try to avoid while you're trying to get information from your client and while you're trying to make sure that you are all on the same page. The other is the use of the word and, not the word but. So when your client responds with something or other and you're going, oh, that'll never happen, you don't go, yeah, but. You go, I hear you, and. And then you go on with whatever your next point is. The word but is, again, one of those words that pins people to the wall. So when you're trying to see if you're all on the same page, you don't want to pin anybody to the wall, put simply. Dr. Nelson, I know in your book you have a chapter dedicated to handling different types of clients. For instance, handling the angry client, handling the negative client, the bullying client, and there's quite a long list here, which is very, very helpful can you speak to how you might determine what type of client is coming through your door and any special techniques for that? Sure. It's not very difficult to determine what type of client is coming through the door because the angry client will come in in a rage. The seductive client will, just by their very manner of walking, whether it's male or female, be using their sexuality, if you will, as a ploy. The bullying client will pretty much tell you what your business is in loud and vociferous terms. Uh, the anxious or insecure client will be hesitant to say a word and may have trouble even walking into the office. I mean, these are very stereotypical giveaways, if you will. And if you just want to practice as you walk through your daily life is try to nail in your mind what this person shows as their major if you will, personality trait. So it's not, mm, I, of course, give many different categories because of the different kinds of clients that walk through your door, but it's pretty easy to suss up what kind is walking through your door. And you, even if you go wrong, you're not going to go terribly wrong because if you confuse an angry with a bullying client, the techniques on how to handle those two categories are not very different. If you're confusing an insecure client with an anxious client, again, the categories aren't very different. So the ways of dealing with said client are not going to be all that different. Would you like me to perhaps talk a little bit about how to handle the angry or the bullying client, one of those? That would be wonderful. I think our listeners would really welcome that. <laughs> well, let's take the angry because that frankly is the most common and for many people, the most difficult type of client to deal with. An angry client is, as we said, easy to recognize. They come in, they are and generally ticked off about everything. Just everything. Doesn't matter. The traffic, you, their wife, their husband, whatever. And uh, they let you know it. They're not shy. That's for sure. An angry client is not shy. So the first thing to do is to simply nod. <laughs> You're respecting where they're at. The mm -hmm. worst thing you can do with an angry client is to say the following, relax or lighten up or calm down because they will be at you worse. You see, 
an angry client needs to know that you have understood, appreciate, and acknowledge their anger. You don't have to agree with it. See, that's the really important part right there. You have to acknowledge it, not agree with it. So, for example, if the angry client comes in and says, I can't believe there's another continuance here. I'm so fed up with this. And then there's some expletives and so forth. And you would be nodding and you would say, continuances are frustrating. Absolutely. And then you're going to go on once you've said the word and. But you have respected and acknowledged your client's anger. So often people faced with anger want to get rid of it as quickly as possible. But the only way to get rid of it, oddly enough, is to acknowledge it. And from there, you can use the word and as your bridge to go on. Now, the second thing is, don't take it personally. It doesn't matter if the client walks in telling you what kind of a mm, expletive deleted you are. Don't take it personally. Angry clients are angry people. Unless there's been a specific situation which triggered that anger, which has to do immediately and personally with you. And you will know it. You will know it because you'll have caused it. But absent that, and that is really quite rare, angry people are angry people everywhere. They're angry at the grocery store. They're angry at the gas station. They're angry with their children. They're angry in your office. They're just plain angry. That's what they do. So don't take it personally. And that would be, first and foremost, what to do. And then you can use your word and as a bridge to and we have the good fortune to have a new judge because of this continuance or, and this is going to enable us to do blah, blah. And the word we or us helps to show the angry client, you are an ally. Whatever place they're in, you are an ally. You don't agree with, their, with whatever it is they're angry about, but you are still their ally. You are still a we. We can do this because of that. Make sense? It does. It does. I, it makes me want to ask another question, which is sure. sometimes individuals come into a lawyer's office and they're angry immediately or they become angry in the conversation and consultation because the law is not what they thought it would be or what they think right. it should be. And mm-hmm. you can get mired down in these conversational circles of trying to explain it to them. And that doesn't seem to go very well. So and I, I wonder bother. what you're... Okay. I wouldn't bother because if you try to explain something to someone who's already convinced of the opposite, you'll never get there. They'll argue you right yeah. back. So right. the best thing to do is, is absolutely acknowledge their frustration with it, which is the law can be absolutely confusing and seemingly contradictory. You're right. I mean, give that. Yes. That, that's true. It is true. You can agree with that. Yeah. So you can give it them a true. you're right. People, people love yes. a you're right. But you've done it legitimately. See, see, that's the thing. You don't want to be angry artificially, like, you know, yeah, and I'm angry too. No, that, that's not going to serve. But yeah, the, the law is often a contradictory mess, and I, you know, we have to deal with it all the time. So yeah, and, mm-hmm. and here, comes, here comes your solution, and we are going to blah, blah, blah. Yes. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not laughing at the, it, it's just the situation so absurd because people do try very hard and very genuinely to explain to clients, well, you know, this law was promulgated and blah, blah, and it was because of this code and that code, and since then there's been this change and that, but it doesn't do any good. Mm-mm. It just wears you don't want to hear that. Yeah. So they don't. It doesn't help. No. 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 Yeah, and you, 
your book and your work, you also tackle some of the management and office issues that can cause client frustration. Can you explain some of those and what can be done to relieve that frustration? Sure. If I had to give it one word, it would be the word surprises. Clients loathe surprises. And surprises come in the following form. They can be in the form of a change of venue, in the form of a change of staff, a new associate joins the team, or you sub out some of the work to somebody else. Just normal stuff in the world of lawyering, but to the client, it's a surprise. And then there's the favorite, which is the unexpected billing item. It doesn't matter if it's 25 cents for a photocopy. If it's a surprise, the client will not be happy. So that is, if you will, we could give hundreds of examples, but they all come under that heading of a surprise. So what the fix is, is don't allow there to be surprises in the sense of you have a change of venue. You will know it before the client does. Therefore, you communicate that. You take charge of that piece of the conversation and say, we've had a change of venue. This means that instead of being in San Bernardino County, we're going to be in Santa Monica, whatever. You tell them and then you tell them why. And then hopefully find a benefit. So you can use your word and and give them a benefit. But the important part is, oh, now they know. It's not a surprise. Same thing with if you choose to sub out some work to another attorney is you let them know. I'm giving this to attorney so-and-so because they are eminently qualified to deal with this particular issue or they know the judge or whatever it is that your reason. But give them a reason that's logical and don't let it be a surprise because what clients really, really don't like is to show up at court and some stranger sitting on the bench next to them. I can see that. It's like, who are you and what are you doing in my case? Yeah. So clients do very, very well as long as it's, something that they know about up front. And that applies to every category you can think of. Dr. Nelson, I have heard from individuals before when they've approached prospective attorneys with a matter that what happens is they go into a firm, they meet with a managing partner, and then lo and behold, they find out, as you have just indicated, that several other individuals, maybe associates and clerks, are actually handling their matter more so than the attorney who they interviewed. And they thought that was the individual who was going to be handling their matter. And they're thinking, why did I even bother with the interview? So if that is the case, if there are going to be several individuals to include uh, secretaries and support staff and paralegals and other individuals that they actually introduce them at the time of the initial interview. So there are no surprises with that. They can, but sometimes the managing partner doesn't even know who exactly. They'll know the primaries on the case, but they may not know who exactly is going to be assigned to various pieces of the work. So the best approach, in my opinion, is to start out by saying, you know, I am in charge of the overall of your case. I'm the one who sees to it that the right work is done by the right associate. And what that means is that, for example, Mr. Smith uh, will be handling the mm-mm part of your case, and Ms. Jones will be handling the mm-mm. And I will introduce you to them as we proceed on down the road. We also have our legal assistance. I mean, in other words, explain, but always make sure you as managing partner or as primary on the case that you are in charge of the overall, you have an eye on everything, you will be supervising everything. And if 
Mr. Client, Ms. Client has a complaint, an issue, or concern, please direct it to me, the managing partner, and make sure you respond to those emails and phone calls. I see. That's helpful. Because that's how you do it. That is helpful. And I wonder, attorneys that buy the book and try to implement your ideas, do you give suggestions on training their office staff or the associate attorneys in these same ways of approaching things? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Staff is so important. You know, a, a good attorney is only as good as his or her staff, because frankly, they shoulder an awful lot of the work. So yes. And what my experience has been is that if a client walks into a firm where most of the staff, or certainly all the staff that are working on his case, know his or her name, address them by name, say hello when they pass them in the hall, whatever, it adds up a lot mm-hmm. in their favor. Mm-hmm. Now they feel connected with then by the staff exactly. as well as the attorney. Yes. I have also found in working with firms that support staff can be extremely helpful in helping the attorneys in the firm keep a pulse on their clients and what's happening because oftentimes they're on the front lines answering the phone and so um, they know the demeanor of the client if the client sounds angry and sometimes clients, in my opinion, tend to share more with support staff than they will with the attorney. Do you have any comments on that or possibly agree with that as far as if a client's angry or disgruntled with some service from the firm? Well, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, that's how I came to write the book. In other words, I'm not staff in the sense that I'm not employed by a one firm, but I run around the country and I'm in and out of firms all the time and I'm always dealing directly with the client. So I will tell the attorney, oh, you know what? You've got a problem with Ms. Jones or with Mr. Smith because of X, because you are absolutely correct. They will tell persons such as myself, outside consultants or support staff often more than they will the attorney or support staff is sometimes just a little bit more sensitive to a client's disgruntlement because they just are. They're just kind of more in tune with that sort of stuff than the attorney who is really involved in the legalities and, and the codes and, you know, case history and all the rest of the stuff that goes into it. Yeah, that's what the attorney is thinking about and maybe not noticing the client as much as the staff can notice. Correct. That's very interesting. And I would never, as an attorney, I would never disrespect my support staff. I would encourage them. You hear something from a client that you think I need to know, you tell me and be sure to listen. And connect with your staff too. I think sometimes that I hear that in my day-to-day work that staff can feel like, the attorneys are short or rude or demanding and not listening to them as much. And I think they have to keep that connection going so that they get the feedback. Yes. And interestingly enough, that relies on the magic of of three words, actually, please and thank you. If when you ask uh, your legal assistant, secretary, paralegal, whoever, for something, if the first word is please, and when they hand it to you, give it to you, whatever your word is, thank you, you'd be amazed at how far that goes in making staff feel respected. So true. It doesn't matter how busy you are. You can remember those two words, I think. Yes. And eye focus also works like a charm. Whereas when you say please and you actually look the person in the eye, as you say, it doesn't cost you anything. It takes a, a nanosecond and it makes all the difference rather than just mm-hmm. handing a paper with your face in the desk and not even saying please. Yes. Well, wonderful. 
we are coming into the end of our show, Dr. Nelson. Is there anything you'd like to add in closing before we wrap up? Well, just like it's so very important for attorneys to remember that clients rarely complain about your strategy or your expertise, but they do complain about not being involved in the process. So by using some of these techniques, you both respect them, keep them involved, and that way you really do keep both your client and your case. Wonderful. We'd like to thank our guest today, Dr. Noelle Nelson, for a wonderful program. Dr. Nelson, if our guests would like to follow up with you, how can they reach you? Well, the easiest way is to go to my website because all the contact information is there. And the website is simply www.noellenelson.com. Thank you, Dr. Nelson, for being our guest on the podcast today. This has been a very interesting topic. Thank you, Tish and Joanne. This has been another edition of the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. I'm Joanne Hathaway. And I'm Tish Vincent. Until next time, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the State Bar of Michigan On Balance podcast. Brought to you by the State Bar of Michigan and produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via Apple Podcasts and RSS. Find the State Bar of Michigan and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download Legal Talk Network's free app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by Legal Talk Network or the State Bar of Michigan or their respective officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.